2: Do you know what love is? A chemical. Electrons. In your brain, sending signals. Are you familiar with Ophiocordyceps unilateralis? It's a fungus that infects ants. It's amazing, really. The spores take over their central nervous systems and force them to climb to a high point, and then the fungus begins to grow up. Bursting from the tops of their heads like a branch. And it kills them, of course. Also, it can spray new spores over the jungle, infecting more ants. When people say love, that's what I think of.
0: A uh, simple I haven't seen it was had.
2: Tell me, what is the point of all this love? All the striving, the friendships. I mean, what is the point of babies? You mean life? Yes, life. What is the point of life? All of you running around trying to what? Be happy? Fulfilled? You tell me. I'll say this. There's only one being in the vast... Multiplicity of space that matters? God. And do you know why God matters? Power. Huh? That is the point of what you call life. The only point. Power.
3: What a lie the Demiurge figure tells the protagonist, David Hallier, in Legion. That love is a fungus spreading its spores. When in reality, that's exactly how the Archons operate across the cosmos. They're parasitical and consuming, like the Borg, but with a bottomless rape appetite and an eternal rage on behalf of the machine. The Demiurge is right that power is what God wants While disguised as a therapist in that scene Power Gods make rules They don't follow them But the Demiurge is wrong again in thinking the purpose of life is power As I will explain After C.G. Jung met Alan Dulles one of history's most sociopathic individuals who stole his magical ideas and weaponized them when he became head of the CIA, Jung said that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's power. And in 1984, O'Brien tells Winston that power isn't a means, but an end. Power.
4: If you want a picture of the future, Imagine a boot stamping on a human face, forever.
3: Why power? Well, as the Gnostics contended in the Gospel of Philip, Ignorance is the mother of all evil. When you turn away from the Eternal Realm, you fall into ignorance. Like Yaldi Baldi himself after he rebelled against his mother Sophia. And then you forget your true origin, but still retain a blurry remembrance of it. And then you want to recreate the source for yourself, the eternal realm, in your own image, your own disconnected ego. You need power for that. That is exactly what the elite do. They seek power to create a heaven on earth in their own twisted and fragmented image. Like the Archons, like the Ophiocordyceps unilateralis fungus. They drain us and drain the resources. Manipulate us by implanting false, corrosive dreams that turned us into husks of our former selves. They become more and more addicted to that power fooling themselves into thinking it's a purpose of life as the Demiurge did. They stray farther away from all that is good and authentic, and they can't stop until, like the fungus, they kill everything and spread across all the planet.
4: Power. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military industrial complex. We must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological
3: elite. As Philip K. Dick wrote in The Man in the High Castle, they want to be the agents, not the victims of history. They identify with God's power and believe they are God-like. That is their basic madness. They are overcome by some archetype. Their egos have expanded psychotically so that they cannot tell where they begin and the Godhead leaves off. It is not hubris, not pride. It is inflation of the ego to its ultimate confusion between him who worships and that which is worshiped. Man has not eaten God, God has eaten man. Power, that is evil. That is part of the jigsaw piece of understanding evil. Evil existed long before good. I made myself.
4: I cannot be unmade. I am all-powerful. Reality is often disappointing, that is, it was, now,
3: reality can be whatever I want. In this eternal now, we will be discussing evil. Not totally the nature of evil, but why it's so prevalent around us today, and why meat sacks ignore it because they've been programmed to look away from evil as their minds have been invaded by propaganda fungi.
2: There are two kinds of evil people.
1: People who do evil stuff, and people who see evil stuff being done and don't try to stop it.
3: A grim show, but it's gotta be done. Keep in mind too that, as Gordon White said in his RuneSuit blog, Gnosticism is chiefly about the critique of power. They did it better than anyone in history, and that's why the elite have always been so passionate in wiping them out. For this topic, we have the honor of being joined at the Virtual Alexandria by my friend and fellow podcaster, Alex Sakiris to discuss his new book, Why Evil Matters. Lock up your Daughters of Conformity and grab onto your Nuts of Preconception. Because it's gonna be a ride, my beloved True Seekers. As the saying goes, there are some things better left unsaid, but you can bet your sweet ass I'm gonna say them anyway. In other words, heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it just is. It just
5: is. If it can be destroyed by the truth, it deserves to be destroyed by the truth.
3: And I am your humble host and of Gnosis, Miguel Connor, your servant and greatest admirer, for you are a beautiful God in the becoming. And together we are going to defeat evil and remove power because we have Gnosis.
1: Mulder, the truth is out there, but so are lies.
3: And yes, if you hadn't figured it out because you accidentally ran into this podcast while in your FBI van, this is a Yumbiagnostic radio. Welcome to the desert of the real. Welcome to the machine, my son, and the means to escape it. Welcome to overcoming evil and understanding the purpose of life isn't power, but liberation, ecstasy, and helping the least of our brothers.
0: By the power of truth I, while living, have conquered the universe.
3: It is true the Archons and their butt-slaves in the establishment have drained our power, like Yaldabaoth drained the power of his mother. Those fucking fungi. Thus, we must take back what we can. A pity most in the world have sold their souls to Moloch, Sebek, and Maimon. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart, they can handle it. The person is smart. People are dumb, panicky,
5: dangerous animals and you know it.
3: Not those of us with Gnosis. I mean, the Gnostics, more than any ideology, were obsessed with evil as they were with the critiquing of power. As Eric Davis said in the Gnostic America Conference, What separates Gnosticism from Perennialism is its focus on Archons. Most religions and philosophies kick the notion of evil down the road, pretend it's all going to work out, or there is a divine plan, or some Gorgon shit like that. All religions wonder how evil came into the world, while Gnosticism wonders how good came into the world.
2: The Earth is evil, life on Earth is evil, and when I say we're alone, we're alone. Life is only on Earth,
0: and not for long.
3: And here we are, in these Gnostic times and Philip K. Dick world, floundering under a thousand Armageddons after a history of violence and brutality spanning a hundred thousand years. All the religions and ideologies have failed, and so many boomers today still think evil doesn't exist. I'm a man who discovered the wheel and built the Eiffel Tower out of metal and brawn. That's what kind of man I am. Thus, we write our own gospel and live our own myth. We tear down the veils of wickedness in high places and see the whole of the moon. We stand tall and honest and face evil and take our power back. We laugh with Hermes and trick the entirety of creation. Don't you see? They have made the world feel powerless and stole its power. The game was never to have robots take your jobs, but to turn you into a robot. Like the ants with their brains eaten out. No politician or scientist is going to save you. No organization or creed is going to give you your authentic free self. No gurus or teachers. Only the contraband truths of the Gnostics will. That ancient gnosis. That anarchic thunder of true power.
5: People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people.
3: Ready to vanquish evil by no longer denying it? by even facing your own shadow once and for all? How many lifetimes do you need to finally wake up instead of being a brain-eaten ant? I'm with you. I am your greatest admirer. Let us do our interview with Alex Sakiris on Why Evil Matters. Uh, Where have you gone, Marshall Applewhite? our nation turns its lonely eyes to you woo woo woo
4: say what you want about america land of the free home of the brave we got some dumb ass motherfuckers floating around this country <laughs> dumb ass motherfuckers you know? They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. By the way, it's the same big club they use to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe all day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it.
3: This is the Aeon Byte interview. And with us, as always, it is a pleasure to have my friend, Alex Sekiris this time to discuss his new book, Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Fumbled a Big One. Alex, thanks for coming on, as always.
5: Thanks, Miguel. Hey, my only my only regret here is that I didn't get a chance to listen to you know, the roll in unbelievable introduction you do. Cause that always would get me pumped for your, <laughs> for your shows. I'm kidding. Whenever you say, I'm not kidding. Whenever you go, you know, Oh, this is a short one or I'll make it short. It's like, no, no, I, I love those. So <laughs> well, I, I thank- don't know what you have. Do you have, do you have in mind what we're going to do for the intro for this?
3: No, I always, uh, it's something I always wait till after the interview to be inspired And, but I am always thinking of, uh, what quotes, I know your book has some amazing quotes from fight club. You got one from the thin red line, which is amazing. So it's kind of think about what quotes I'm going to use, what intro from what movie I'm thinking. Maybe there's some good stuff on sneakers and some other overlooked movies about our disastrous culture. So uh, yeah, I'll have to wait to be inspired unless you have a, there's a lot of good quotes about evil out there. I'm sure
5: there are. And I, I stole a couple of my quotes from your show. Uh, <laughs> you know, I know that the X-Men one is always one of my favorites that, that you do. You know, <laughs> what do men of power want? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Power. Magneto. And yes. <laughs> and of course the Oracle and yes. uh, the matrix, there's so many. And uh, yes, these yes. movies, uh, as, as we've, as you've discussed, whether this is uh predictive, are they, as, are the powers putting, all their tricks out there in plain sight a la aldous huxley or is it synchromistic but either way they're great quotes right
5: <laughs> yeah and, and even that point not to dove, dive too far into the deep end of the pool right off the beginning but why the hell not i i always uh wonder if we're too quick to kind of bifurcate the programmed and the synchromistic as if they're separate you know as if i mean which is the tail uh, you know Leaving the <laughs> yeah. dog, and the snake is eating the tail. And it's like, I don't know.
3: I don't either. You just keep doing it, and we hope you can, some light bulbs will go off in the audience and they can go find their own answers, right?
5: Oh, man. I mean, that leads into one of the things I really want to talk about uh today with you, because I like these dialogues that we're able to have, you know. So take the book, throw it out the window, and have a dialogue, because I was kind of, uh, you know, we were all just overwhelmed with so much content. So I was catching up on some of my Aeon Byte that I've been behind on in preparing for this kind of chat with you, and as well as uh, Finding Hermes, which is fantastic and interesting and all that stuff. But what dawned on me is that what really strikes me at my core about what you do, and I feel like it's where I came to with this Why Evil Matters stuff is what I think Anbyte has always been about is spiritual disintermediation. <laughs> so Big <you> know, word. <laughs> when, when the internet first hit, everyone latched onto this idea that, oh, you know what, what it's really doing from a business, you know, Wharton School of Business, Harvard School of Business, it's doing disintermediation. It's taking the intermediary out and connecting, you know, the creator with the person who wants to get it. Right. And I thought, wow, man, this is writing your own gospel, you know, living your own myth is disintermediation. It's saying it, it, because everything else is cultified, right? Everything is religion is cultified. It's like that's the primary function of religion is to jump right in the middle and saying you had a spiritual experience great let me tell you
3: <laughs> what it is <laughs>
5: well, what do you think about that have you ever thought of it in those terms
3: yeah i mean it has really helped but with everything uh everything casts a shadow as jung says so of course this is a wonderful time to find your niche and sort of uh exploit the cracks of the simulation which is what the internet has done but of course uh the powers that be certainly have weaponized. Uh, this uh, sort of uh, liminal space that the internet and this arena of ideas. So yeah, like everything, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, and also we (laughs) have to think what it's done to our psychology. I mean, I think uh, as we do this interview, I think Chris Knowles put out a tweet and was wondering before social media, was there so much political verbal violence and depression and anxiety and of course you have to think and go, well, maybe not, or maybe it just, ex- the veil was lifted, but I think it's done some damage to our psyches.
5: That's a tough one because, you know, there's always the kind of glass half empty, half full thing. And I've always kind of been more on the side of what you're articulating there, but people always push back. And I think their pushback is warranted too. <laughs> so I can kind of play either side. So I'll play the other side and that. You no, know, I mean, we're more we have more of an opportunity now than probably ever so in this spiritual disintermediation if you look at like in our culture what christianity has done as a cult as a means of uh, you know mind control social control social engineering and weaponized uh you know and which again people are jumping into the middle list and they don't know anything that I'm about. I I have to say (laughs) I am all for people's genuine Christ consciousness experience. I would never take that away from anyone or or doubt it, or think it's in any way illegitimate or their experience as a, any religious experience that they have, that they understand to be a direct connection to, you know, the divine I'm all for that. But I think, What you're alluding to and what I'm certainly saying is that we can also find clear evidence of manipulation, social engineering, and mind control using tried and true techniques that are associated with cults in these religions. And that, if you look at the history of that, oh man, we're we're light years ahead, right? We're light years ahead because that dominated the, you don't want to say the psyche, that dominated the psyche. And if you stepped out of that, you know, somebody like you, Miguel, where, somebody like you, you would, I don't know how many years ago, but, you know, a couple hundred, whatever, <laughs> man, <they'd, laughs> they wouldn't tolerate it.
3: No. No, we'd be on the edges of town as we always are. But, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely the PSYOP is definitely going on by the time this interview comes out it'll be the holidays. God knows what the election and uh, as I like to say, it's a divide and conquer any sort of, uh, civil unrest or civil war friction and culture is, I believe is 100% engineered because I think as, uh, Seekers and most human beings, we really just want to get along, and uh, it's unfortunate that, the, as you said, they they real this good thing that was the internet, they've just weaponized it big time. I mean, um
5: totally, you know, totally, yeah. but that's it's not over. I mean, it's. I heard a couple of things, you know. Again, I'm usually the one on the other side of this, but I'll bring the couple of rays of light that I have to that. Number one. Somebody clued me into this the other day, and I thought it was really a a great point. If the correct translation of the Latin is not divide and conquer, it's divide and rule. And I thought that's such a great subtle little shit. That's what they want to do. You're You're easier to rule. That's what the Romans, classic Roman history, they'd go in, go into Gaul and find the one warlord, and say, hey, 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 hey! I understand that though. You're why you're in a big conflict with this other guy that you hate over there. He's terrible. And then go over to that guy and say the same things. So he say, okay, let me stay between you guys. Let me find peace. You know this and that. And thereby, they've given up their right to rule to the guy who's going to come in and be the peacemaker in this case. And it's divide and then rule. I thought. Genius. But the other thing that I heard just the other day that I thought, again, I'm I don't want to get too polyanned on this because it does look pretty dark at times. <laughs> what's going on? But maybe they've overplayed their hand a bit. When you start banning books, people take notice. When you say you're not banning videos and it, the evidence becomes overwhelming and documented that you're banning videos with your AI bots based on certain keywords, which is directly contradicting what you said you did, when we can show in real time that you're shadow banning, that you're under-reporting and rolling back tweets on Twitter, you've overplayed your hand, bro. And what you've done is you've forced people to find another way. So I think that shift is already on, you know, people, even kind of regular people know about BitChute. They know how to get over to BitChute. YouTube did that. YouTube is the greatest promoter of BitChute in, and the other ones too, that there could be. So they are, and I'm not, obviously, I'm not like the first guy to say this, but they are seeding their own destruction. What do you think about that? Do you, do you buy into that or is that is that Pollyanna?
3: Yeah, I th- no, I think there is truth to that. There's a a famous Zoroastrian saying that I keep saying over and over again. It says, evil eventually becomes stupid. And I think old Zarathustra was oh, okay. 100% right. Uh, they overplay their hand. They get lazy. They get stuck with the same marketing uh, campaigns and people eventually get smarter and uh, You know, there was a one time we could rule people with pure tyranny and evil started getting stupid. So you needed somebody like Aldous Huxley to tell the rulers, well, no, no, we got to put pharmaceuticals and drugs and entertainment. And even then evil will get stupid and we'll, you know, some of us will break out, as you say.
5: I love it. That's an unbelievable quote. I'll definitely put that in the top.
3: (laughs) And but it's 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 so important, the work we're doing and we may sound repetitious but there's this fog of amnesia over the population and for example i love what skeptico does because you keep hammering away not because you want to talk about these very dark issues at time because you know how easy it is to forget in this sage where our personalities and our attention is fragmented and stretched out. And one example that I think a lot about is people know today of the big, bad sexual predators. There's uh, Jerry Sandusky, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Jimmy Saville. There's others. But for some strange reason, nobody knows. Uh, it almost seems like nobody knows except for you about Dennis Haster. And it's so incredible, Alex, because this guy was the Speaker of the House. He was, at one point, one of the top five most powerful people in the American empire. And he was a big-time child predator. But it's almost like it's been scrubbed off of the consciousness of culture. Even I was looking at his Wikipedia page last night, Alex, and it starts the first paragraph. He was a Speaker. He was convicted for breaking the law. You don't even hear the child molestation thing. About <laughs> five paragraphs down is Wikipedia. And it's amazing. Do you feel surprised that it's almost like they hide this stuff?
5: Right there from the great state of Illinois, huh? Yes, right. yes, from our home state. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I am so glad you brought up Dennis Hassert because, you know, I just got rejected by. Oh, what's his name? Jeffrey Mishlov, because I wanted to go on thinking aloud and I've had him on and I thought I knew him. And, and he just, you know, dismissed me, gave me a good talking to about Pizzagate, you know, God, QAnon, you know, I was like, <laughs> okay, like, <laughs> you don't get it. You don't get it. If you are political, if you come at me with anything that's political, it is like a litmus test. I'll have a conversation with you, but I know where that conversation's going. Because just to fill people in on the backstory, you just said who Dennis Hassard is. Denny is who he's referred to in the in oh the John boy. Podesta emails, right? So Pizzagate, if we can go all the way back, and I hate to I hate to bore people and be pedantic, but sometimes you, you know, you jump into the middle of these things and you're either way, you're, you know, you're either Doing total inside baseball, or you're telling people stuff they've heard a million times. Hey, one thing you gotta know about Pizzagate, Pizzagate's a conspiracy, right? You don't drop thousands of class thousands of private emails of the top Democratic aide and mover and shaker in Washington four days before the 2016 election, with all this highly charged spirit cooking, occult stuff. It is going to totally uh, gaslight the whole Christian movement. You don't do that four days before the election and not call that a conspiracy. It's clearly a conspiracy, but here's how it got twisted that I think is what you're alluding to. And I I won't let go of this is that if you talk to the woke folks the people in the progressive are political, and I'm, you know, uh, all that craziness, right? <laughs> I'm apolitical. i I think if you fall into believing that there's any reality to that, I think you 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 can't even you don't even have a starting point having that discussion, in my opinion. But what that has become, what they've turned that into, is that Pizza Gate is about a guy walking into a pizza parlor and shooting it up, right? And what they the reason that they wanted to change what Pizzagate is about is because they want to get away from the idea of spirit cooking, which is occulted practice, a Crowleyan uh, uh, kind of occult practice, Mariana Abranovich kind of thing. They don't want to process that. And we, you and I can process it and process it in a bunch of different ways, but they do not want to process that. They They have this... This little schizophrenic thing. On one hand, they want to play it really straight down the middle of a sciency. Of course, there's no reality to extended consciousness. But then they want to do this little wink and a nod like, oh, yeah, but we know what's really going on. And there's real stuff out there, right? So, But here's the point that you were kind of level three at on it is that if you, 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 just have to go back to the source material, which in this case is the John Podesta emails. And you look at this guy who has all these strange connections to, uh, pedophilia. And there's kind of like two kinds of pedophilia, right? There's the Jeffrey Epstein, um, finders, cult, <laughs> CIA. <laughs> let's get these yeah, kids.
3: Honey traps. Yeah.
5: Exactly. Honey traps, brownstone operations. Let's find some sick individual that we want to compromise and own for life. And let's film him secretly behind in some motel room. Right. So there's that kind of pet file. And then there's the other guy who's like, yeah, let's do all that. But let me in on some of that because for whatever reason, which I think is really what's interesting, is what is that energy about that allows people to have these blockages into this obviously evil energy associated with Exactly. That? But we we I'm really really burying the lead if anyone can find the trail back. Here's the point. In those emails, go look them up folks. John Podesta is writing emails to Dennis Hassert, and he's saying, oh, tell Denny about this, tell Denny about that. The only possible connection that these two men could have that could explain their affinity is their collected interest in pedophilia, their collected interest in Dennis Hassert is someone who was identified by some of the Franklin kids as being you know the Franklin scandal of course for people who don't know it and, and as part of the Franklin scandal they took these kids and they brought them to Washington DC when all these Republicans were in power so this is not a Republican or a Democratic thing right because Podesta's highest level Democratic uh D- Dennis Hassert Republican is a Republican they- yeah Exactly. So they brought these kids when Bush was in the White House, they brought these kids, these parties. And they said, Dennis Hasser. Yeah, that that was the guy who was at these parties. And that was the guy who we saw leaving the room with these little kids. And then they'd come back later. So that is the eyewitness testimony of kids from the Franklin scandal, from the boys town in Lincoln, Nebraska kind of thing. So, you know, there's so much there to kind of go with. But what we don't want to go with is, you know, a guy goes into a pizza restaurant and shoots it up because conspiracy theories are bad, you know. Jeffrey Mishlov, I don't want to hear about it because it sounds like QAnon to me. I don't give a fuck if it's QAnon. If you I don't I don't even know I've never I wouldn't even know how to look up QAnon. I don't even know what QAnon is, other than, you know, reading it in the pot. I've never read any of that, but people just get stuck, man. I get it
3: yeah exactly, and I think that's the the point of your book is that uh that's the point people don't want to face this evil I mean just recently there's a story out where ninety thousand kids were sexually abused in the Boy Scouts. This is endemic, this is part of evil, and people don't wanna face it i mean um recently. I, I just interviewed Jason Horsley on his book on uh, the dark side of Hollywood. And because it's a on bite, I'm putting all these serious topics during the holidays. Good old Gnostic counterculture. There you go. But uh, he, of course, he cites the the work of Brian Hayden, which you've had on as a guest and appears in your book. And he talks about the whole idea of conspiracy or secret societies as sort of a, a straw man, because it's more, Social engineering. From the beginning of time, the elite have social engineered our culture. One of them, of course, is to break children from the days of the Spartans and before and turn them into, well, really biological robots, into machines, obedient machines through various ways. The other one Brian talks about in his book, in this sense, the beginning of time, since the days of the shamans, is one to spread terror through the populace, which the lead have always done, no conspiracy, to torture the women and steal their creative power. Again, since the beginning of time, no conspiracy, social engineering, to use that power to create surrogate realities, dream matrices, Hollywood social media, artificial wounds, and attain virtual immortality. So this is not a conspiracy, Alex. This is, again, just common social engineering.
5: You know, the other thing, did, did, you, um, did you have a chance to uh, kind of read the thing on uh, Brian Hayden?
3: Yes, of from, course. Yeah, I read the entire um, book.
5: Oh, gr- great. I mean, I just have to ask. I mean, somebody pushed me really hard. I, I Not 100%. But here's the other, in skeptical fashion, the other way that I took that. Brilliant guy. Super-duper respect him. He deserves all the respect he has, like he's on the Royal Society of Canadian Anthropology, which is super prestigious and all that. And the main thrust of that book that you're referencing, well, there's, there's many, there's many, but one of them is this idea of self-aggrandizement. And it's kind of a tricky word, because it kind of pulls us in a different direction than what you were just saying, which is that he's saying that a lot of the shaman shit was just couldn't be explained in material terms to put it in, in kind of simple language. And I really pushed him on that. I was like, look, cause cause he, and he has some great examples. He pushed back in some good ways. I'll give you an mm, example. That brings it to, Brings it home for people. So the, 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 The shaman in the uh, Native American tribe, you know, he goes into his, (laughs) he goes and smokes the smoke and does the thing and comes out (laughs) and goes to the guy and says, hey, buddy, you know what? I just talked to the spirits and I got some superpower and I got some good news for you. You're going to give me your wife to sleep with for a week. (laughs) And in return, I am going to give you this amazing power on the next hunt. Okay, now this goes back to the very first thing we're saying is uh, dis- disintermediation, right? So here, you know, the the noble savage kind of ideal we have and the this shaman, you know, sage on the stage shit that we want to raise those people up all of a sudden and say, oh, well, when they do disintermediation, it's a good thing. Well, it's not always a good thing. So beware of anyone who tells you they've talked to the gods and they have a plan to sleep with your wife is the takeaway there. But the other thing that I really pushed Hayden on is that you can't function inside of an academic culture that completely denies the reality of this extended consciousness realm. And you can't just talk to them in the language that they want to hear because they want to hear the self-aggrandizement story. They want to hear that story all day long. Because they're going to take that story and they're going to use that to explain the entire phenomenon. There is nothing. See, we always told you it was fake. And that's where we got to be smarter. And that's where I think we also have to call out that bullshit as well. Because it's kind of another part of the disintermediation process, which is the discernment process where you got to go. No, 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 not so fast. Just because that's true doesn't mean that's true.
3: Oh, I would definitely agree with that one. It's, uh, yeah, like you said, it, to cut, make it uh, cut and dry and, uh, as I say, don't reduce the world to good and bad guys and make it reductionist, which is what Skeptico is about. Don't go the reductionist uh, way. And another thing that I also love of what you're doing is also you keep banging away about the satanic panic, which is almost part of American folklore and almost uh, orthodoxy, that this was again a lot of hysteria. But as you keep saying, no, there's always a story underneath the story.
5: Yeah, and that's a that's a really hard one to get into. And but but we should because in the spirit of what we're talking about, of just being totally, you know, being able to talk about stuff and being able to talk about stuff that. It really pains me when I see people in, I don't know if you want to call it our community, but that's what I call it. I feel like, you know, you're part of my community. I feel like there's a dozen or so other people that, you know, we have to kind of keep our little corner of the cellar well lit, you know, (laughs) by keeping, you know, so the thing about satanic panic that gets me is like. When people think about Satanic Panic, they think about two things. One, they think about McMartin Preschool.
3: Exactly. That's it. Yeah.
5: That's the first one. And what I just point out, and I will for any of your audience who hasn't heard it, go back and look at for case number 001 of McMartin uh, Preschool. It's a little three-and-a-half-year-old boy uh, named Matthew who came home one day from McMartin and was complaining about his teacher but was pretty nonverbal because he was three and a half years old, but was reaching around because his butt was uncomfortable and he was bleeding out of his butt. And his mom freaked out, which any mom would. And she took him to a pediatrician, which is what any mom would. And the pediatrician said, this kid looks like he's been sexually abused. We better take the right protocol here. I want to go directly to UCLA Medical Center, emergency room. They do. The doctors, as is documented by Ross Cheat in his book, Brown University Professor, wrote a book, The Witch Hunt Narrative, in which he names names, names the names of the doctors at UCLA, of the pediatrician, of the people who testified in the case. But they agree. They say, yes, this looks like sexual abuse, sexual assault of this little three and a half year old boy by his teacher at McMartin. So they bring in another one, and the last doctor is connected with the police, and he says yes, and he brings in the police and then the police go and begin an investigation of McMartin. Why can't you find that on Google why is it is it accidental that McMartin you know the first three pages is all about satanic panic? There's a case here there's a kid that was sexually assaulted and back to your point you know we're going to talk about sexually occult occulting little kids and pedophilia and all that stuff <clears throat> and people think, oh you know what's your thing man Why, do you, why are you talking it's like so it's not my thing it's the cult it's these crazy freaking evil people evil. That are doing it <laughs>
3: exactly. it's all around and like you were talking about nobody seems to want to there's a veil over culture about it both in religion and materialism the point of your book, like lift the damn veil. <laughs> yeah. And look at all sides, see all sides. I mean, there's an argument that says Jerry Sandusky is innocent. And I've looked at the argument and I have to hold it equally. Same with uh, Damien Eccles or Alistair Crowley. I, I want to see both sides and I want to hold them up and I don't want anything censored. I can make up my mind and hopefully the audience can, but, doesn't happen in this culture a lot. Again, there's uh, the archons hide things as we, we're just talking about, Alex.
5: You know, Damian Eccles is a, is a good one because there's a whole chapter in the book. It ties into the whole Crowley thing, which I think is so interesting on so many different levels and the do what thou wilt. And I love to always throw that do what thou wilt because all the Crowley apologists will immediately fire back and go, oh no, you don't know what that means. <laughs> and it's like, well, I think I know what it means. And I I think it's, it's actually, I think it's a viable way, philosophy. It's a viable philosophy. It's real, right? And it is embodied in his practices, in his writing, in his life. And you can read it one way or you can read it another way, but it's not like he didn't say it. And it's certainly not like he didn't live it as every biographer will say. But the thing that's interesting about the West Memphis three and Damian Eccles is the same thing with the McMartin preschool is that you can't approach the West Memphis three without being hit over the head with satanic panic, satanic panic. Like they pulled these kids in Damian Eccles and his two friends Off the street because they were wearing dark, you know, black uh, T shirts and uh, with funny signs on them. No, man. No. Damien in, in his own. So, Damien Eccles, you know, first of all, let me say this Damien Eccles to me seems like, at the very least, a redeemed person. I like a lot of the things that he has to say. Number two, it is not for me to judge. Damien Eccles and how I believe that the world works is it's not for Jesus to judge Damien Eccles. It's not for anyone. It's for Damien to judge, but looking at the documentation outside of the phony baloney Hollywood document documentary that was put up, he probably raped and killed those three kids. I mean, we have direct evidence that he gave the police and they kind of tricked him into doing it, which is what police in West Memphis, Arkansas do and what police all over the country, all over yeah, the world okay. do, is try and induce people into saying stuff that incriminates themselves. And what they did in Damien's case is pretty slick, white, tried and true formula. They bring him in, they go, "No, Damien, look, we know you didn't do this, but supposing you could imagine who would do this. And he just starts spilling the beans. He goes, well, they're satanic. That's the first word that comes out of of his mouth. He goes, well, they were probably Satanists because it's it's satanic. And then he goes on to tell them why it's satanic. And then he goes on to reveal a bunch of stuff about the crime scene that was never released. Right? And one of the most incriminating things that he releases, is he said, and they did it near a river because probably because... They wanted to wash the urine out of their mouths. Well, this is what he says to the police. <laughs> it's like, mm. Okay, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> add to that the fact that one of his co-conspirators confessed to the crime three times. Now, in the documentary, they make a big deal out of the fact that, again, the police don't play fair, man. They do not play fair. So they got this kid in there and all these guys were kids and all these guys were not the most sophisticated in terms of their family upbringing. And if they would have just come in and said, lawyer, 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 like you're supposed to, you know, it would have been a very difficult prosecution, but they did. not So he confessed. They put him under a lot of pressure, but his third confession was after the conviction in the squad car, taking him to prison. Now, think about that. He has nothing to gain. This is not going to be used in court. It can't be. It can't be used in any criminal prosecution. But the officer, I don't know if it's a sheriff or uh, state police, can say this is what the guy confessed to me in the squad car on the way to the prison. And he lays the whole thing out. And again, he gives evidence that only someone he he not only gives evidence that only someone who was at the crime scene would know but he gives evidence that they didn't even know but they were later able to go and verify like a broken whiskey bottle of a certain brand and he says yeah and we broke it over by the thing and then they later and go and find it but the point of all this is, is that this is the discernment part like I don't mind. Damien Eccles was found guilty, but then he was released on this plea that allows him to still be guilty, technically, in the eyes of uh, Arkansas, but because there were so many uh, problems with his prosecution, right, which we have to be able to differentiate between, you know, you can be guilty and then go, wow, you know, we just can't convict you, so we got to let you go, you know, or you know, the DNA is so messed up or the gloves don't fit. We must acquit. quit, you know, kind of thing. So there's a difference between whether you did it and whether they convict you. And in Arkansas, they said, gee, if we go back to trial, it's it's going to be bad for everybody. We'll just let you go, but you're still guilty. And Damien said, Hey, if you're gonna let me go, you can call me guilty as long as I can go and say, I didn't do it. So that's where, that's where the thing is, you know, he's convicted he was never exonerated. He didn't like choose to go to trial a second time to like clear his name. But you can't really blame him for that. Who would you're on death row? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I'm, no I'm kidding. <laughs> but my point is, that, you know, kudos to you to even be able to hear this and listen to this. I have to say, you know, I I think I've maybe irreparably destroyed a couple of relationships folks at Grimerica they hate me now just because I said hey do you know this do you know this I didn't I didn't like jam it down their throat I, my friend Rick Archer at Bat Gap Buddha at the gas pump which I've known for years and is like a super great spiritual guy and all this interviewed Damien Eccles and I said you know I and this is before I did my interview by the way I, I didn't investigate all this stuff on my own I learned it from an attorney who wrote a book on it Um, who I had on the show yeah i listened uh, to it yeah william ramsey Uh and uh you know to him he's like if you're an attorney or even if you're just willing to kind of dive into the legal part of it he goes i can't believe that anyone you know really 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 believes like beyond a shadow of a doubt that this guy is clearly innocent you know i mean i can understand people have doubts or, or whatever but it's like, if you haven't looked at this other evidence, and, and then this is the other, Man, I'll shut up about it. But the thing that really pissed me off about uh, my buddies, uh, Darren and Graham at Gramerica, and Rick Archer, who I was really disappointed in, is that, again, in our little corner of the cellar down there where we keep the light on, it's about course correction. I fuck things up all the time. (laughs) I get things completely wrong. I put things out, and people send me information, and it blows my thing up. And I force myself to dig in there and say, I was wrong. I'm stupid. (laughs) You know, what (laughs) is it? Evil becomes stupid. I became stupid. (laughs) I close. You have to course correct. And when I hear from people and they say, I already investigated. Yeah, well, I investigated it before I did my interview with Damian Eccles. I investigated. I understand that you investigated it. I understand that we all thought, since the guy is out walking around, doing interviews with Johnny Depp, and uh, being on, um, uh, what's his name, show of the Midnight Gospel show, Tucker, uh, no. Uh, uh, uh,
3: Russell. Um,
5: no, no, no. Um,
3: yeah, I'm drawing a blank, too.
5: <laughs> I am, too, but I, I'll get it. I'll retrieve it in a minute. But just because he's doing all those things, you know, he must be innocent. Obviously, it wouldn't have let him out of prison if he wasn't innocent. Well, no fault in it for anyone assuming that. But maybe, you know, maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's worth investigating whether he really is.
3: And oh that yeah, no.
5: still, that doesn't mean somebody can't still interview him. He's out free. That's it's anyone's choice to interview the guy and publish or publish books. I'm not trying to suppress the guy, or you know, I'm not saying we should go lock him up again or anything like that. But
3: yeah, and, and I don't understand why you, friendship should end over this. I mean, after I interviewed uh, damien on this show, i I. I guess I was looking, I had a lot of emails and they were all friendly. Some on one side, oh great, he inspired me too. On the other side, is like, man, I think you're off and here is my argument. Here's some links to podcasts and books. Please take a look and make, and I was just very friendly. With Crowley though, it's a little bit different because I've put out a show on Crowley and I get one extreme, but the other scream is like that you, how dare you? And I'm, I'm subscribing. And I hate, so I still get much more of a visceral action a- reaction from Crowley. And uh, that's a hard one too, because I know individuals like uh, um, Jason Horsley, even Jason louver they've tried and tried to find some connection with the, really dark uh, child sacrifice, child abuse. And they always, so far, everybody seems to come up blank, even though they're convinced something happened.
5: Now, did, did, when you talk to Jason Horsley, did you guys talk about his interview with Peter Lavenda? His his email exchange with Peter? Yeah, I did
3: that last, last year, two years ago when he came out with vice of Kings, but uh, not on this one. On this one, we focused on uh, his book on hollywood 16 maps of hell and you know the usual suspect charles manson polanski all those uh, all the weirdness going on in hollywood
5: so i'm going to have to catch up on that one and um, i'm i'm uh, i'm really really itching to get into that I, I sometimes your feed gets messed up for me in, in my little old fashioned uh catcher so i'm gonna i might have to go directly to the it hasn't
3: story. been out yet it will be out uh, when this interview is out it would have already been out okay so.
5: the you know here was the to kind of totally bend people's mind the thing that i thought was interesting about the peter lavenda thing was so there's a couple of interesting things that might lead us to some cool places The other thing that Jason Horsley says beyond the kind of uh, Brian Hayden, uh, I have direct uh, evidence in his writings that where he admits to doing this and that in terms of with uh, Crowley, you have his direct experience with connecting with Crowley on this extended consciousness level. And he says how dark it became in his life and how, at the beginning, it was incredibly empowering, and he understood it, and he felt he had a real connection with uh, Crowley in an important way, and it gave him all these insights and powers and this and that, but that it eventually led to a real, real darkness for him, and that drew him away from uh, Crowley. Now, this is his personal experience in the extended consciousness realm, because so we don't want to make too much of that. But I think it's interesting to overlay that with how people treat Alistair Crowley in the real world. Like you're talking about, you know, this kind of extreme, like, Oh my God, you know, you think this, that Enter Peter LaVenda, Peter LaVenda, if people don't realize it, Peter LaVenda is right in the middle of the psyop that we're calling UFO disclosure right now, which is a globalist, clearly a globalist, we got to get those freaking aliens because they're going to get us kind of thing, which I, I, and I'm not saying Pollyanna on the on the UFOs either. But Peter LaVenda and Tom DeLong are the guys who push forward the whole thing that we're in the middle of. Right.
4: Right.
3: The
5: exactly. Academy to the Sky stuff. Peter LaVenda, as soon as Horsley publishes this thing and saying, you know, he, he reaches out to LaVenda and says, hey, you know, I think uh, uh, my opinion of uh, Crowley has changed. I think he there's a lot of direct connections in his writings to uh, pedophilia and to these kind of unsortly kind of things. And LaVenda starts lecturing him on email, and I thought it was a real intimidation thing. It was this really, look, kid, you know, I am... Published scholar, everyone loves me, and I'm telling you, I've looked. There's nothing there. Shut it down. And Horsley, being quirky, yeah, <laughs>
3: He's not going to let it go. Not going <laughs> to let
5: it go. He starts pushing back, and he starts sending him this writing, and this writing, and this writing, which is all, admittedly, somewhat circumstantial, but together as a pattern of behavior is quite overwhelming for a lot of people too, both Christians and non-Christians like myself. But the persistence of Lavenda to kind of want to shout that down, to snuff out any of this idea that the the Crowley connection to these sex crimes against children for and again it we can't even we can't even unravel this whole thing because when we say sex crimes against children, what we're really saying is miguel what you said at the beginning which is crack these kids open in order to give us a vehicle to access the extended consciousness realm that's what seems to be at play for hundreds of years you know whether it's the the spartans or the aztecs or you know whoever's
3: footprints into the chambers of the shaman the greeks and their little boys i mean yeah it's power that ultimate that like you said that vehicle
5: and and uh, even there, when you say it's, it's power, and maybe it's something else, too. And that's really where I was trying to reach with the book, um, is that we haven't even begun to start asking some intelligent questions about how evil kind of operates, how it functions. You know, whether we wanted, whether we would want to participate that, because uh, let me say that. We are all participating in it, right? It like we are all light and dark. We're all drawn to the darkness and experience evil directly in our lives all the time, right? So it's not like anyone's above that. But like one of the, the, the things that we're kind of dancing around here is that whether you go to MK Ultra, <laughs> which is the you know, and and I I I, uh, I just interviewed. Uh, Whitley Strieber, okay, and he immediately went. This is where I wanted to take him. And he immediately went to when he was just a little kid in San Antonio, San Antonio Texas, and his dad had some kind of intelligence connections. And these Air Force guys show up at his door. Now he's like nine or ten, and they say we have a special program because we think Whitley's a gifted child. And we want to take him to this special program and they take him there and they're doing MK ultra. They're breaking these kids and they're putting them in these cages and they're doing these horrible things to them. And like Whitney, Whitley is such an interesting guy and he's so fragile still, you can tell. And he's trying to reconstruct this, not just the story he's trying to reconstruct it in terms of his life. He says, I still don't know exactly what went on, but I know like my neighbor, him and his sister went, and they were never the same. My neighbor lived in his house until he died in his 50s. He never left the room. And the other girl, the same, dysfunctional. The only way I got out of it, Whitley says, is because he got really sick and they had to put him in the hospital. And even when they put him in the hospital, it was this very strange situation of they put him in a military hospital and only his mother was allowed to visit him. This is MKUltra. This is one of the most important figures in our entire history of the whole UFO phenomenon. A guy who transitioned us from nuts and bolts to experiencer. That's what Whitley Strieber what, what did in the communion book. Completely changed the, the landscape. Agreed. It turns out he was an experiencer from the time that he was a little kid. And he thinks that has a connection with why he was eventually contacted by the visitors. But it was incredibly horrific. And it was a weaponization of this separation thing that... Has been going on with kids, this disassociative identity separation thing. And it's not just for power. It's somehow connected with this larger picture of evil that we don't totally get that says this can create an entry point. This can be a hack, you know, a, a doorway, a, a back door into the software that allows us to get in there whenever we want. That's how it looks to me. Have you investigated this or stumbled across it, Miguel? And what are your thoughts about it?
3: I would certainly agree. I have investigated it. I've done talk to guests, and yes, obviously the children are the nexus or the portal to really to the realms of consciousness and the powers that are are there. I think that's obvious, and that's why you had children sacrifice all throughout history and children abuse for that reason and other reasons. So it's uh, it's an obvious thing. And of course, we can just be pragmatic, which would work too. If you want to create a good race of soldiers and obedient slaves, you have to break the children too. It's uh, It's not either or, I think both. Great point. Yeah, and I mean, uh, and I know, obviously, Jason talks, bringing up Jason again, he talks about it in his book, uh, Prisoner of Infinity, where he deals with uh, Whitley Strieber. And they again, they had a, a back and forth on emails and Jason wouldn't let go. And he's convinced, yes, what exactly what you just said now. But for Jason, it's I think that's a lesson that Jason is teaching us is that uh, instead of being whatever the reason or your heroes or your worldview was, Instead of having cognitive dissonance and being in pain and confusion, just go for an exorcism so you can live in peace and see the world as it is and see evil. For example, he needed to ex- exercise himself of Crowley because Jason was a thelemite at one point, big time. Crowley's never done anything for me I see him as a relevant historical figure he has his place but nothing he ever did inspired me I guess I'm more of a WB8 kind of guy and even then Alex I'm at a point in my life where I always say Gnosis will make you realize your villains were heroes and your heroes were villains I'm perfectly fine seeing the dark side of let's say something like Carl Jung I don't see him as a saint in fact he had a dark side in fact he probably was one of the reasons we have the CIA because Alan Dulles was able to get a lot of his own magic and use that to create the CIA. It seems the more I look into it, the more I'm realizing maybe Jung was a dupe. Maybe Jung wanted to feel important and gave him too much information. Who knows? But again, nothing wrong with an exorcism and there's nothing wrong with seeing that uh, you shouldn't have heroes or villains. It's just light and darkness out there.
5: I'd like to understand more about um about that connection. What have you done what what uh what has kind of informed you on that? I'm I'm sure you're right, but
3: yeah, I mean right now it's more the beginning of the research. I know I've talked to Chris Knoll who's brought it up, but for example, if you read Michael Talbot's the The Devil's Chessboard, Alan Dulles' Mistress when he was in Switzerland during World War II. Was a patient of Jung. And she obviously Jung would help her with his very esoteric ideas, but she would go to Alan Dulles and say, Man, this guy really has the the keys to the psyche. And Alan Dulles would be like, Well, can you find out more about this, more about that? And uh There is uh, ample evidence, as Michael Talbot has said, that he used these Jungian ideas very much like people use Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays used Freud's ideas to weaponize things. Even I think Jung himself said that he, he thought Dulles was one of the most soulless creatures he'd ever met in his life. And that's where Jung came up with the famous quote, the opposite of good is not evil, it's power. Because he saw and Alan Dulles, somebody who really represented what true evil was, as we know from history. But uh, that I'm, I'm basically at the beginning, but I'm pretty convinced, yeah, I'm sure Dulles really tapped into those Union ideas to give us the wonderful CIA the next few generations. <laughs> Magic, archetypes, all that stuff Jung was into.
5: I'm really intrigued by what you said earlier, right before that, because it really does get into the the ultimate answer, which is we're all trying to figure out our spiritual path, right? And like I said at the beginning, what is so absolutely inspiring to me about Aeon Byte is that you, I feel like you do embody, you walk the talk in terms of Write your own gospel, live your own myth. That's a path. That's the no that's the path of gnosis. And you can't go wrong with that because it's the ultimate personal responsibility. I'm responsible for everything. Exactly. I can't dish, <laughs> I can't dish it off on Alan Dulles or the CIA or, or
3: Biden or Trump or whoever.
5: <laughs> yeah. Or or Crowley or you know, oh my God, Crowley did this. No, it's your personal kind of responsibility. But I do think, at the same time, you know, I, I'm intrigued by your your method, if you will, because one of the things that that um, I, I guess came through to me as I was working on this is this idea of uh, the secret of the ascent is to always look up, and the the other matching thing is, you know you are good. So the, 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 I guess I came to two conclusions. One is you are more, (laughs) I am more, I am not a biological robot in a meaningless universe, despite being bombarded by that message, by all the people who (laughs) want to control me because it's in their interest for me to think, for me to be a depressed, ineffective, you know, zombie who believes that the only thing that matters is my credit card and black Friday and, and there's really no meaning in anything. Uh, no, I am more. I am more. But the other thing is I am good. You know, I, I, I can choose. I can see that I'm not always good <laughs> and I can see uh, the evil and I can see the darkness, but I really do not have to be a part of any of it because I am good. And uh, the secret of the ascent is to always look up, is just to always find the light, and it does seem to me like one of the plays in the evil playbook is to kind of hide that fact and say no you've made a deal with the devil here son and you know you <laughs> have to pay it no uh, it's it's i just what i've come to learn from people who i really trust is that those contracts are unenforceable <laughs> they are not valid in any way you have something that trumps all that which is called free will And that's your ability to just find the divinity and find the love and the light by yourself without anyone, without any intermediation, just to find it and seek it at at any time. And it just, it feels right.
3: Well, Alex, we are at the end of the interview. Uh, So much more we could have talked about uh, for the audience. He has transcripts on many of the individuals we talked about in the show and far more on all these topics including NDE, pedophilia with a very intense interview with FBI agent Hamer, and so much more. And great transcripts, great insights, great quotes. Definitely check out the book, Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Fumbled a Big One. And Alex, real quick, you know the question, because you ask it all the time, where can they find out more about you?
5: Uh, Skeptico, with a K on the end, S-K-E-P-T-I-K-O. So, uh, yeah.
3: Awesome. Well, as always, it's great having you on, and uh, good luck with the book.
5: Miguel, it's just uh, it's such a pleasure. Always
3: Enjoyed fun. It. And there you have it, my beloved True Seekers, the first part of our interview with Alex Sakiris. Can you hear Merman and SpongeBob screaming, evil, evil? Well you will in our second part, we discuss Jung, we discuss Aleister Crowley, as we get deeper into evil, Alex provides insights on how to fight evil, we bash materialism and new atheism, and Alex gives us his views on flat earth and other conspiracies. He'll certainly provide data on near-death experiences and what they reveal about the spiritual worlds. And much, much more. So become an AB Prime member or patron at Patreon for the full goodness. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle, or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You won't find this Gnostic and Hermetic content or many of our guests anywhere in cyberspace or even meets space. When you subscribe, it will cost you about a buck per episode, and that's a deal of many lifetimes. Membership includes full access to the Archives with more than 14 years of quality interviews. It includes an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group. And the Discord channel where many past guests hang out there. And I'm always there to answer your questions. Even support in the form of some shekels to PayPal or the US Mail really, really helps. Don't forget I'm offering voiceover services if you need some audio for your projects. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wishlist. As I always need equipment in this universe of entropy. Finding Hermes is live, and so are our virtual Alexandria-exclusive private meetings that include spiritual and mental exercises loyal to the ancient Gnostics. And a whole lot of stimulating conversation on many heretical topics and a Q&A. I've already given lessons on Gnostic chants, vowel magic, astral ascends, mystical Eucharist, and much more. If you want to understand and experience Gnosticism in its full impact and liberating secrets, become an official citizen of the virtual Alexandria. And as always, if you've got holes in your pockets due to the monkey shines of Archons, just let me know. I'll give you any full show on the Casa. Do it all the time. You can do so many wonders. I just know it. I just know it. And together we are the only hope in this world of increasing evil. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self. Here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye as always.